Hi, and welcome to the Film Coterie. It's been a little while. This is episode 18, and we're happy to be back with you, but we have an abbreviated crew this evening. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt, the only other person in the room. We are missing Roger, which is why I am doing the intro. So, you may have noticed it's been a couple weeks. It's summer, man. Yeah, the summer schedule has made it near impossible for the three of us to hook up. So we thought we'd already gone too long. We're doing it tonight with a smaller crew because we have some movies to talk about. We've still been seeing the movies. We just haven't had time to get together and podcast. Well, some of us have been seeing the movies on a regular basis. Uh, I teach uh, and I luckily or unluckily got scheduled for a Thursday night class from six to nine. So it makes it a little hard to see a movie that's being shown while I'm in class teaching. So this episode will be a little different than normal. We're not going to do a news and notes. We don't have any movie homework, but we'll be discussing three movies. The movie new out this week, The Mummy, I saw tonight. I'll be giving you my thoughts on that. And then we'll also be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, and Alien Covenant, which are movies that Matt and I have both seen. So without further ado, let's jump into the meat of the episode. All right, the first movie we have to discuss this evening is Pirates of the Caribbean Part 5, Dead Men Tell No Tales. It's been a few years since the last one. Thankfully, that one wasn't very good. That was the one, if you recall, with Blackbeard and the Mermaid. This one is a film that returns more to the roots. I don't know that really any of the characters outside of Jack Sparrow return from part four. And it goes back to more or less tie up some loose ends from the end of the trilogy that we knew with Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. The directors are new to the series. And I, the names escape me right now, but from their history, they'd only really direct Contiki, and they'd done some work for Marco Polo, the series on stars. Yeah, so Espen Sandberg and a name I won't even begin to be able to pronounce. So there you go. New directors taking the helm, injecting some fresh blood into the mega series. I mean, this, this series has earned billions and billions for Disney over the years. So Matt, what were your thoughts on this film? Uh, here's the problem. After the second Pirates, I was tired of Pirates. Um, I, the first time you saw Jack Sparrow on screen, it was, all right, that's kind of nice. That's kind of funny. And then it just became a bad joke of itself, almost. I get it. He's drunk. I get it. He wants to be an awesome pirate, and he gets himself in crazy situations, and... I just not a, I wasn't a fan. And I think that's a fair critique. At the time when the first Pirates came out, it was sort of a breath of fresh air. We'd not had a movie like that in some time, a Pirates movie. Right. He was an interesting character we hadn't seen before. And by the second one, we'd seen everything he had to offer. This character has not grown or changed. No, it's Johnny Depp is the same from the first movie to the fifth movie. And having gone to Comic-Con for a few years, there are times when I'm watching the movie where I feel like I'm just seeing a cosplayer walking around pretending to be Jack Sparrow. I mean, it's kind of become a joke. Yeah, it's all the mannerisms and um, idiosyncrasies of his of the first two movies are, it seems to me, throughout the rest of the movies, blown up and out of proportion because, by goodness, that's what Jack Sparrow is. So in this one, the stakes are pretty much the same as any other pirate movie. There's a curse, there's a treasure, there's hijinks, there's undead. (laughs) I think all the movies have pretty much featured the undead. Well, you need your your sea legend curses. Ghost pirates in this one. There is a god in this one. Well, mention of a god with maybe some relics. Yeah, and these are actually technically ghost pirates, I think, because they were more spectral than the zombies and the various other crunchy undead that we've dealt with in the series. Crunchy undead. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
I don't think this gives away too much, but it appeared to me that there was one member of the dead pirates crew that was literally like just a hand. Yeah, and there's, I mean, if you try to stab him, your sword goes right through him and no real impact. Yeah. They introduce uh, Will Turner's son, who's out to rescue his father's legacy and maybe his father. And then we get another love interest, and this has been a few weeks ago, so I forget her name. Um, she's the Kira Knightley of this new series, if they were to kick off a new series. So it is likely Kaya Scodelario. And she plays Karina. Yes, Karina Smith with a Y. Because why wouldn't it be with a Y? You know, back in the ages of pirates and seafaring ships. Jeffrey Rush returns as Barbosa. Um, I like him in this movie. Barbosa's always been a, a good character. He's actually. a mainstay for me. He's I, the person in the movie that's an actual pirate. How about that? Yeah, he's the traditional pirate. Yes, peg leg, no parrot, but he's got a monkey. Uh, he successful. is successful. Successful scoundrel. Actually, has a surprising amount of honor for a pirate. Yes, and I think that holds true, and he has a great, there's some great moments in this one for him. Yeah, it's definitely Barbosa's movie, more so than some of the other minor characters. So, looking at the movie as a whole, I mean, what do you expect from a Pirates movie? Big action set pieces, <clears throat> a good soundtrack with the score. Big action set, set pieces. A Lots big, of special effects. Big booming score, special effects, cannons firing. Attempts to womanize and lots of drinking. Yeah. So on those, this movie mainly delivers for the pirate franchise. I mean, I feel like if I was talking to a fan of the rest of the series, I have no problem recommending this movie to them because it's a lot like the others and it's better than probably the last two. Yeah, I would say that. I think one of the critics said it's the best fourth prequel that's ever been made. But what is that really saying? Yeah. I mean, it, once it gets going, it keeps up a pretty good pace. I never found myself really bored during it. I can't say I had a whole lot of fun in the movie, but it was perfectly fine. Yeah, it was just, it was perfectly fine. But that's not something you want to say about a movie that's supposed to be a summer blockbuster. No. You never want to say, well, and it was what it was. It was inoffensive. I mean, it was a Pirates movie. It did nothing really poorly. The acting's all fine. Um, there's a few standouts. I mean, like I said, Bar Jeffrey Rush's Barbosa was good. I actually liked Javier Bardem as Salazar. He had some pretty good scenes in there. He steals most movies he's in, and I like him as the villain in this. Yeah. No, it. it I thought he did a good job. Um, but just, I mean, I'm just kind of, it's like, you know, I went in wanting a steak and came out with like milk and toast. Yeah, and they pitched it in the trailers as maybe this movie has some stakes to it. This is the final chapter. Oh, yeah. Everything's on the line. Now, if you hadn't seen that preview, I don't think anyone will feel like this is a final chapter. This feels like just another middle link in a bigger saga. Just like a Bond movie. I mean, you ever walk out of a Bond movie and think that was the last one? No. I mean, of course, they say James Bond will return. We don't get Captain Sparrow will return. But this right. doesn't feel like a final chapter. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a farewell to the character. It just feels like they had another adventure together. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some movies I'm going to nitpick later and probably more in the summer. I mean, I walked out of this. No real complaints about any area of the movie. I mean, some parts are weak. Um, they didn't give young Karina much to do. She's literally just a MacGuffin to help point them on their way to where they're going to be going. But... I mean, Disney plays it safe. They felt they needed a young female lead because without her, this is an all-male movie. Yeah, because it's pirate ships, man. It is. And in this day and age, whether it's good or bad, people have checklists when they watch a movie, and Disney would have taken heat from the press and from everywhere if they'd made a movie with no females. Which is a shame because traditionally, I mean, the superstition was you don't take a woman on board a sailing vessel like this. So I, I mean, I get that people want uh, diversity in the films or whatever. When it calls for it, it's fine. But if you're doing like, eh, I'm not going to say pirates is a historical piece, right? I mean, that would be ridiculous, but 
to be up in arms if they hold up a tradition is kind of strange to me because it's one of those things that if you don't if you don't remember where you came from then you know you're always doomed to repeat i guess so um so they had the female character in but i think it's worse when you have a female character in just to say you had a female and literally do nothing with her character. Yeah, they, they do nothing to her because here, I mean, looking back at the original trilogy, Kira Knightley had a lot to do. I mean, they made her a fierce, independent character. No one was going to stop her from sailing the seas and doing what she needed to do. That was well handled, and she was a good character. This feels like a minor imitation of that. And like I said, I don't know for sure. It just feels like a safety move on Disney's part to make sure there wasn't any backlash or not casting any females in the movie. So I think it was just playing it safe and and giving a somewhat weak role to this young actress. And in the beginning of the movie, she's in peril. And as I sit here now, having even talked about this movie previously with, you know, about this movie with you, I still don't understand why she was in peril. I don't want to give away too much, but she's in peril. And there is... I mean, there's a reason given. That reason is absolutely absurd. Everyone knows the reason is wrong, but they never give the real reason. It's just, uh, it's this, and we're going to... Her life's threatened, and because. And that's it. And you kind of have to laugh, too, in this movie, because the British redcoats, the sailors, are literally your typical red shirts. They are just put in this movie as cannon fodder. Oh, they absolutely serve no other purpose. Like, normally there's that... Like Jack, the person always out to get Jack, and and that used to be Commodore Norrington. It did, it did, and now it's just like here's a a, a British Navy uh, ship that literally is on screen for five minutes, maybe. And they try to give him a plot point of this is for the Empire, but I mean it's it's really worthless. It's absolutely. I mean, it literally served no purpose at all, really. So. That's why I was. I came out of the movie just like, eh, whatever. I spent money on it. I saw big explosions and things happen. It didn't disgust me because I've been to the blockbuster films that have disgusted me and, you know, all off Fast and the Furious. But this didn't make me feel like that. But it didn't make me feel good when I got out. And I'll say this, too. Compared to The Mummy, which I saw tonight, and even back to Fast and the Furious and King Arthur, those movies actually think their audience is dumb. I mean, I, I mean, that's what I thought about Fast and Furious. I thought well, it, in King Arthur, yeah. too. I mean, they have to keep calling back. They have to explain flashbacks. They keep showing things to remind you of something that happened 20 minutes ago that you wouldn't have forgotten anyway. Yeah. This at least doesn't treat the audience as if it's a, a big, dumb ent- entity. So, I mean, there's that going. I'm getting worried about that trend. This at least bucked that. Yeah. I mean, and it it didn't even do stuff from previous things. It didn't show you why Turner was cursed, and you know, it didn't go that far. Kind of opens nice, and you know, I kind of like the opening though. Yeah, I did too. Um, and the 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 ending is that's a Disney ending. That's just absolutely flat out Disney. And it literally like grassy field sunset. Characters setting off on different roads and paths and journeys and, and the Disney ending. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So I just, you know, it was what it was. And that's not a, it's not a good thing to say about a summer movie. No, but, you know, in this summer, I'm okay saying it's fine because I got some bad news later. This summer has not, is not starting out well. We're still early. So we have our... That, uh, I don't know what we're calling it, where we're trying to pick the top. Oh, the summer box office derby. Yeah. And literally, I look at it every week and I'm just sad. Not because my picks are wrong, it's because these movies that traditionally have been huge or ones that were billed to be monsters are just dudding. At least, in my opinion, they're dudding. Are they making money? They're they're probably going to make money. Are they what you would hope for that movie? No. A lot of them, aside from Guardians, are opening low. Oh, they're opening real low. Like uh, Paramount really wishes Baywatch had gone the other way. Ooh, that was bad. Yeah. 
an alien underperformed, and yeah, it's yeah. been a rough summer so far. Wonder Woman, thankfully, against what I thought was going to happen, opened really, really well. Opened over hundred million. Yeah, I mean, I know we'll talk about, it, but it, at some point we will talk about it. But I mean, it's getting love from critics. It's it's finally good to see a DC movie that is, and I'll say this: I haven't had the chance to see it. I had one window to see a movie that weekend. And I went and saw Captain Underpants. Ooh, maybe we should have you review Captain Underpants. I can do a review of Captain Underpants. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's just good to see that it looks like they finally got their feet under him with at least one movie. Yes, thanks to Patty Jenkins, I believe, the director. Hey. And whoever did the screenplay. A bunch of people. It's a committee, like any comic book movie. Yeah, but, I mean, that's... I mean, these movies, like this movie, we said it's two directors we don't know, right? Would a different director have helped that movie? Pirates? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it's not those guys. I mean, they're literally like we're brought in. They're hired guns. Yeah. You can do a spec script. Here it is. This is, it's a safe script. Just, just let's just go through the paces, right? <laughs> let's, let's stick you on a horse. It's like. You're, you're taking a horse out. How about and this? You don't it's, open him up. And you just kind of trot him around the track. It's really just paint by numbers. Uh yeah. At this point, I mean, Depp just shows up on screen. Is Disney Jack hires Sparrow. the writers and is okay with the script they put together? And put, you know, here you go. Here's the model pieces. Go assemble your model. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, for the fifth movie in a franchise about a theme park ride, not so bad. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up Pirates. Um, I would recommend this to people that like the series. However, we always vote at the end of these, and I know Roger's not here, but we'll go ahead and vote. As a general movie that I were to recommend to a stranger, I couldn't do it. Just because, again, I'm not putting my stamp on this movie. It's perfectly fine, but this isn't why we go to cinema. This isn't why we love movies, so it just doesn't get my vote. Normally, I'd be the first to bash, the, bash this movie, right? But, um, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat where if you like the series, you go see it, right? But I would also say this. If you haven't seen any of these movies, I would go see it. Why? Because you haven't been introduced to Jack Sparrow. So because of that, then the only person I wouldn't recommend it to is people that don't like the original series. I don't know how many people that is, so I think I would recommend it, just if I'm generally, because when I meet someone, how am I going to know if they've seen a Pirates movie or not? So I would recommend it. Okay, there you go. When we come back, I will be discussing The Mummy from 2017, not the Brendan Fraser Mummy. Welcome back to the Film Coterie Podcast. Uh, we're playing a little shorthanded tonight. Only one of us was able to go see this beaut of a movie this evening. He's talking about The Mummy. And that is The Mummy. This happened before, you know, with King Arthur somehow. I was the only one that saw King Arthur. <clears throat> Listen, I have excuses, man. You I do. teach. You I do. teach. I can't help this. But we're talking about The Mummy, not the Brendan Fraser, although Adam may have wished he had seen a rerun of the Brendan Fraser Mummy. But we're talking about the one from 2017, directed by Alex Kurtzman. Uh, several writers are credited on this and this, Tom Cruise. And it is the resurgence of the Universal Monsters. This is the kickoff film to the Dark Universe which is their Avengers initiative of monsters. Yes. And I hate this. I am, before we get into this, I just have to let everyone know, for years, I have known Adam for a long time. For years, Adam has wanted newer, updated, good, universal monster movies. As you know, Adam is a horror buff. He wants, he wants this, a lot. I'm not going to say more than anything, 
but he wanted these movies to be, he wants this to be good. And we'll just have to find out what he thought of The Mummy tonight. Let me get this out of the way. I tried. I tried to give this movie a fair shake. Oh. And I say that because this was a lose-lose for me. Okay. If this movie was a hit, commercially and critically, the studio would be, that's exactly what people want. They only want action movies that are like comic book movies with the monsters as superheroes. We're going to keep making these, and I would have lost out on my chance for good universal monster movies. Right. The other flip of the coin, if this thing bombs, critically and commercially, the studios are just going to say, people don't want these monster movies. We're never going to make one again. So I have no... This is my Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> you are in the Kobayashi Maru. You know what you have to do. You have to cheat. Yes. So if you've ever heard me talk about this, the movie I would love to see, and Guillermo del Toro's talked about it, is his take on Frankenstein. One, I love his production designs. Frankenstein is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm talking about the original James Whale Frankenstein. And Guillermo loves monsters. He understands what Frankenstein is. And so the mix of his production design and his take on the story is something I'd love to see. Good or bad, that's the movie I want. And you got this. You got the mummy to start out with. I get further away from my goal every time something like this happens. I Frankenstein set us back because, one, it was terrible. But then, two, the studio, of course, says no one wants Frankenstein movies. Oh, but then we had Dracula Untold. Yes. That was supposed to kick off this dark universe. It was. They've now cut it clean out. Doesn't matter. Because it wasn't very good. No. Oh, but wait. We also had Victor Frankenstein. I don't think it was universal. It probably wasn't. Irrelevant at this point. Right. Another bad Frankenstein movie. Yes. Because Igor, of course, had a cyst. (laughs) I can't even Uh say that without laughing. So let's get to the mummy. Let's do the dirty deed and get this. So, thing. Adam, my infamous question. How was it, man? This was not the worst movie I've seen this summer. Well, for a budget with this, with the star power, I would hope not. It was not. And I said I'd try to give this a fair shake. I'm already biased against it. I did not read a single review going into this. I went into this as cold as I could outside of seeing the trailers. Trailers made it look like Mission Impossible meets a horror movie. There was a lot of running. And screaming and planes crashing and action scenes. Yes. This is, however, I think the worst screenplay of the summer of any movie I've seen. Oh, wow. You mean the fact that there were six writers on it may have hurt this screenplay? The story's utter nonsense. Um, I mean, let me just talk about the feel of the movie. I mean, they try to go more horror than I thought. There's a lot of undead in the movie. They play jump scares, and then they try to mix it with action. Um, you'll see the big shootout at the beginning in the trailer where they look like they're in Cairo, and they, they find the vault when there's an airstrike. The problem is none of these action scenes are any good. They're just not exciting. They're not well shot. You can't tell what's going on. Uh, shaky cam and just poor geography. For instance, they're running down a hallway, and they take a right like a hard 90. Okay. Everyone's pursuing them from behind. Right. And they're still running down this new bend, and they're getting shot up from the front. And there's no one in front, and you can tell that. But there's bullet holes appearing on the walls beside them. Everyone's around the corner from where they were. There's literally just squibs going off everywhere. This is like if Michael Bay had no control over what he was doing with the scene and just setting off every explosion and squib and everything exploding all at once. Just hit the buttons, man. Hit the buttons. It's just chaos. It didn't make any sense from a geographical standpoint, a lot of the scenes. <sighs> the female mummy in this movie is fine. Uh-huh. And they give her a MacGuffin. She needs a dagger. Oh, well, we all know that if you're an ancient Egyptian, you need a dagger. Ceremonial or dagger. Amulet or some scarab something or other. <laughs> Was it a scarab dagger? No. Oh, well. Yeah, you know what? There wasn't a scarab in this movie. Spiders. You gotta be kidding me. Camel spiders. Camel spiders? The closest thing we have to face huggers on this earth. I've never seen those in the hieroglyphics, but just saying. So she's trying to get the dagger. She's awoken. And the funny thing is, we were debating this after the movie, what she wants to do with it. And I'm not going to spoil it. 
makes no sense because it happens and it doesn't work out for her. Like her, her desire to do something when you really break it down and look at it, doesn't help her in the least. It makes no sense why she'd actually want to do this. Okay. So then that begs the question, then is this an Indiana Jones movie? No, the old, the mummy with Brendan Fraser was, well, I'm not saying Indiana Jones from the sense of, you know, swashbuckling archaeologist. Not saying that. I'm saying, for those that have never heard this and thought about this, I apologize. This is going to ruin your take on the movies. But in the majority of Indiana Jones movies, Indiana Jones has no part in the finale. It would have happened anyway, right? Is this a case where it just would have taken care of itself minus three quarters of the movie? Correct. Oh, I hate that. And this movie is a ton of bad ideas thrown together. As you saw, there's a ton of writers on it, and it felt like they were just picking things from other movies they like. Uh, Not really a spoiler. character dies early in this, and he then shows up through the rest of the movie in his torn-up form. Right. It's exactly like what they did in American Werewolf in London with his friend that he kept talking to after he was dead. Yes. They do that in this movie for no other reason than to maybe call back to American Werewolf in London. It doesn't advance the plot. The character has nothing to do except show up. I was kind of speechless there. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. Like I said, it's bad action. The story is just garbage. I mean, it makes no sense. And some of the scenes, they're just thrown together. I mean... At one point, Russell Crowe repeats a line, and I couldn't tell if they were cutting back in time to when he said the line the first time, that it's in the trailer, welcome to a new world of gods and monsters. Well, that's the tagline of the movie, sir. And then a flashback happens? Yeah. He says it again, but it's in a different room at a different angle, so it's not like clear if we're cutting back to when he said it the first time, but from before the flashback, or he's just literally saying it again. Well, maybe there's just more people to welcome. <laughs> Same to the people. worlds of gods and monsters. And it's no secret. The latest TV trailers show you that he's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. They do a really poor job with Mr. Hyde. I'll say it's a disappointment for, for I don't want to spoil it. We talked about it before we came on. And without having seen it, I will tell you it's a disappointment. I, I don't even want to say lower your expectations. I'll say have no expectations for what they're going to do. Because it's, it's mind-bogglingly bad with what they do with Mr. Hyde. This, if you haven't heard, is their Avengers version of Universal Monsters. Dr. Jekyll is Nick Fury. Yeah. So, as a someone who hasn't seen the movie, hasn't read up about Universal's new dark world of gods and monsters, I'm assuming, as a layperson, man, if we're going to do this, let's do it. So, I'm assuming, here's what's going to happen. The mummy's coming out. Then we're going to have Dracula. Then we're going to have Frankenstein. Then we're going to have Wolfman. Right? So I'm assuming that's what's happening. What's really happening, Adam? This is nuts. I still (laughs) am in disbelief that this is what they're actually doing. Because it feels like they just spun a wheel and threw darts at it. No. So the next movie in the Dark Universe is Bride of Frankenstein. Wow. Because a lot of, I mean, you know, hey. Okay, okay. So they're skipping a lot. Uh, Yeah, we've established that there's a Frankenstein's monster, and now there's a Bride of Frankenstein. Okay. And they've signed Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man, and he's not getting his own movie. He's making his appearance in Bride of Frankenstein for some reason. And I assume these are all contemporary. I don't know if these are going to take place in the past and then jump forward in time. This movie, The Mummy, is set in modern day. Okay. Frankenstein's monsters and immortal. So it'd be no big deal for him to still be around today. Right, right. Absolutely. But I don't know the setting of the movie, if it's going to be in the past or today. And then they're trying to cast The Rock as Wolfman. But he's not getting a Wolfman movie. And here's what blows my mind. The next two movies after Bride of Frankenstein are Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. So the Wolfman is in one of those. All right, so what you're telling me is that we're going to transform The Rock into an English gentleman. (laughs) Yes, hopefully with his tattoos still intact. They do realize that 
the rock is probably bigger than any human alive if they go like back in time. I, it may be good. I don't know. I don't know how you do either of those as contemporary. Okay, I can get Phantom, but let's go to Hunchback of Notre Dame. We're not stoning and executing people in the square anymore. There's no Esmeralda. Or physical deformities. Well, no, Esmeralda too was a, was a blind gypsy, right? Yes. That's an issue that's kind of out of the equation anymore anyway. <laughs> yeah. These are two outcasts. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they're people that now society has said uh, we need to help them, not kill them with rocks. And again, they're trying to make these comic book movies with it. So what is the hunchback's power? Is he going to be the Spider-Man of the universe? Because he can swing around on bell ropes. Yeah, it's... If they're going... You've seen the movie, I haven't. If they're going the comic book route, superhero-esque, I think they have made a monumental mistake because that is not what these movies are. These are monster movies. They're supposed to scare you. And besides, what's the phantom power besides theatrical disguises and an awesome singing voice? (laughs) He will wow you. Show hands are shaking. (laughs) Jazz hands, jazz hands. But no Dracula on the table. No. No pure Frankenstein on the table. We're getting bride. He'll be in there, but no. He'll be in there, but, I mean, there's something to be said. Yeah, I know it's been done a million times. Not a million times. It's been done a lot. But, like, I want that origin. I want a good take, modern take on that origin, right? Because you could do that. I mean, you can add in science. You can add in other things. But there better be some scares in there. I mean, you have to, like, I feel you have to be genuinely scared at some point. So the reason I like Frankenstein is I think it's one of the best movies about humanity. It is. Because it shows our desire to create and play God. And it shows how we get into a mom mentality and we react. Frankenstein's monster makes an innocent mistake. Yes. And he's not really a monster. But the village turns on him instead of giving him any kind of shot just because he's different or they're fearful of him. And I think it's a great movie about humanity. Yeah, but now it sounds like in this, with these kind of movies, like it would be, he's going to get like a reality TV show. It'll be a scene where they arrest him and then he breaks out of the jail and smashes through walls or something. I mean, that's the route they're going to go with this. Oh, gosh. That's horrific. So I don't want to spend any more time on this. The Mummy is bad. It is, like I said, probably the worst screenplay I've seen so far this summer. Just incoherent. Can't believe anyone put this together and thought it'd be even entertaining. The scenes are just strung together. The characters are poor. I mean, there's nothing redeemable here. So <laughs> that, is, that is pretty strong from you. It doesn't even do a good job setting up the universe for whatever the dark universe is going to be. I mean, it, that's all thrown in there, too. So I absolutely do not recommend this movie. All right, and with that, we'll take a quick break and be back with Alien Covenant. Okay, we're back, and the final movie that we're reviewing tonight will be Alien Covenant, the sixth movie in the Alien franchise. One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. Yeah, so this is six. We're not counting Alien versus Predator. Those are not canon. We are counting Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, and Prometheus as the prior movies to this film. Man, we're not counting when predators land on ziggurats and try to kill aliens. aliens? Or when they're in the Walmart in the South. For... I didn't see that one. I only saw the first one. I was forced to go to that one. So, yes, this is the sixth movie in a long-standing space horror franchise. Yes. Directed by Ridley Scott. This is his third alien movie because he did Prometheus and the original Alien. Now, I need to point out that Ridley gets a lot of credit for this, but he's not a writer on any of these. He's been a director three times, and actually there's been no writers in common 
between any of the Alien movies. No one has ever come back for another Alien movie. So this is a fully different suite of writers than Prometheus. There are six people credited. Of course. Yes. That's always a good sign. There were rewrites. Yeah, so there were. it's always hard to tell who touched it last without reading up more on the production. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, it's interesting to me that this is now called Alien instead of Prometheus. I, yeah. They may be trying to put in some distance. He's well aware from interviews of the public reception of Prometheus. Yes. This feels more like an Alien movie without reviewing it yet. I'll say the name's fine. Prometheus was a little more different for the series. But uh, I guess let's go ahead and jump in on it. What were some of your thoughts for Alien Covenant? Wow. I'm going to say this, and this is super general. I liked it until I didn't, if that makes sense. What's the gap there? How long did you like it? Um, I thought it was, it was going all right until... I don't want to give too much away. So un, until one of the cast members was playing two different people. Okay. Well, that's in the trailer. We can talk about. Okay. Okay. So I didn't see the last couple trailers. I don't think I knew I was going to go see the movie because yeah. I'm a huge fan of the alien franchise. Huge fan. I own them all in like three different formats. So we can spoil Prometheus a little bit. Prometheus ends with Dr. Shaw, played by yes. Numir Pace, and an android named David. Yes, David. They leave on an engineer ship. Engineers are the alien race that are likely responsible for creating the xenomorph. We can get more into that. The engineers, yeah. Yeah. you saw them in the original movie. They wear the elephant-like gas mask. They're, they're giant humanoids. Yes. They seed planets or something? We've, yeah. We've seen their ships. They're horseshoe-shaped ships. So at the end of Prometheus, Dr. Shaw and David take off for an engineer world, and the movie ends. This movie picks up in the same quadrant. We have a colonist ship some, some years later. Yes. They're traveling, and they hear music. Earth music. John Denver, to be exact. John Denver. Being broadcast from it's Country a, Roads, right? Yeah, it's Country Roads. For those of you that care, I went to WVU, and that's like we sing that after we win at anything. So I, I'm not a huge country music fan, but I love that. So, and I went to OSU, so that's our Hang On Sloopy. If that had been playing from the world, I'd, I'd yes. have the same sentiment. Yes. So they hear John Denver coming from an uncharted planet. Yeah. I want to say something so bad, I don't want to give it away. I mean, kind of it's early because the, there's, there's lots of scenes out there where you can see the music. They sing it and they hear okay. it. Okay. No one freaks out about this. It's kind of like, oh, do we go check out this planet? There's John Denver coming from an unknown planet. Yeah. They debate barely. And it's not even that it's weird. No one reacts like it's weird. Yeah, like, oh, we always hear stray John Denver songs coming from uncharted planets that we look for and couldn't find. And here's where Michael Fassbender's playing two roles. They also have an android on their ship, same model, updated, named Walter. Yes. Fassbender plays David from Prometheus, and then Walter on the new ship. Yes. So, as any alien movie, they go to the planet, and bad things happen. As they must in an alien movie. As they must. It would be not an alien movie if they just landed and no. everything was biscuits and gravy and they, they if, left. If you didn't know, there's aliens in this movie. There'll be chest bursters, people will die, and yes. they'll make stupid decisions. Absolutely stupid decisions. More so lately. I even watched some of the earlier movies. Between Alien, Aliens, and Alien 3, I feel like the crews behavioralistically. They, yeah. they are blue-collar yes. space workers. Yes. Prometheus was the first white-collar crew we got. They were specially trained scientists yes. in the survey crew. They, it was. And they made the worst decisions, all for the sake of the plot. Of course. This movie I felt it. I felt it tried to go back to its blue-collar somewhat. It did. They were more blue-collar. 
But again, it feels like they're making bad decisions just to forward the plot. Yeah. And yeah. it made me mad because really Scott in interviews said he understands why people were upset with Prometheus. Like he gets that, that people were making bad decisions and, and things didn't make sense. The nitpick people always had of Prometheus is the two guys that get lost in the engineer ship when it's a horseshoe shape. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you'd find your way out of there. You don't have to spend the night because you can't figure it out. This crew is, is pretty dumb. Yeah, they are. And my main, my main knock, main knock, on, knock on them. There's no development. I, I have absolutely, like, all right. So it's an alien movie. This isn't giving it away to say, at some point, crap's going to go down. People are going to start dying. I didn't care one iota. Like it made no difference. Why? Because I didn't care about that character. Because I had no idea who they were at all. We barely get names. Like the most backstory you get was from someone that lasted all of 30 seconds in the movie. And you have the most backstory and talk about that character more than any of the ones that you see the rest of the movie. Even Daniels, who's the main character. Yep. Like I, I felt nothing. And here's the thing. It's not like other alien movies have gone all the way to give you backstory or whatever, right? But I cared about Ripley, right? Yeah. I cared about those Marines in the set. I mean... Hicks and Newt. <clears throat> Hicks and Newt. You care about them. Bishop and... Yeah, I, I care about those characters. I really didn't care about any of these people. I just saw them as like, this is aliens, it's cannon fodder, whatever. And that you shouldn't feel like that in an alien movie because it doesn't give you that emotional, you know. Yeah, this this was the biggest crew yet, but they literally spend no time on the characters aside from Daniels and then Danny McBride plays Tennessee. And I do want to talk about Danny McBride in this movie. I liked him in it. He was great. Yeah, he's a high for point. him. Yeah, he's a yeah. high point in this movie. He he absolutely is. He's not just playing eastbound and down Kenny Powers. And that was my big fear yeah. was if I was going to see Kenny Powers in the alien world and he didn't, he played it. I, for him as an actor, I thought it was a huge step forward. So I was very pleased. And again, he, in this blue collar space world, he fits in perfectly. He does. He still had his jokes and wisecracks, but it wasn't, it wasn't his normal character. And I like that. So I, I was I was really happily surprised with Danny McBride. I thought Danny McBride was good. I thought Catherine Waterston was good. Yeah, she's I just, got nothing to do. I mean, yeah, it, that's the problem. She has nothing to and do. They don't, they don't make us care about her, but yeah, she's good in the movie. So here are my cardinal sins for this movie because it had a lot of interesting things it could have done. One, we're going to an, oh, it could. Have. This is pure wasted potential. We're going to an engineer world. Do we learn anything, anything new about the engineers? Yes. Oh, okay. I was going to say no. Well, here's what we learn. You ready? That all of them dress in some form of gray. And when spaceships arrive, they congregate in mass. And there you go. Okay. That's what we've learned. Right. But we're on their world. Yes. With their buildings, factories, technology, art. Yes. They like faces of themselves. Yes. A lot of their architecture are giant faces. Yes. But we learn nothing about them. The movie doesn't spend any time, doesn't even care. No, like I said, we learn two things. They like to wear shades of gray, and they congregate in mass when spaceships arrive. And that's this, what we've learned. This could have been any wilderness planet outside of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I always love it how... And this is just a personal thing, I think. So we have a movie with advanced civilization. I think everyone can agree that the engineers, way advanced civilization. Okay. Why is it that when movies depict every advanced civilization, that what you don't see is something like, I don't know, television? <laughs> They're not distracted, I guess. They don't have Netflix. To They're keep not them distracted. From they don't have Netflix. And they get out and do something. How about this? They always wear robes. They do. It's just comfy. You know, I wish society would go to a robe. I would love to wear 
Just a robe. No more just, neckties. No more neckties. Uh, you know, I could wear like sandals or shoes or boots under a robe. No one knows. No yeah, one knows. I'm with you on the robe camp. And multi-layer robes too, not just... All weather. All weather, right? Like Jedis. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if the Western dress code switched to like Jedi robes, I'd be super happy. So here's another cardinal sin of this movie. I thought they might have something interesting to say about artificial intelligence. And the movie starts out with a strong scene with Walter and his creator. Yes. And I thought it'd be interesting. because oh, Walter or David? That's David. Yes, David. David and his creator. You're yes. correct. The movie could have done something interesting because we have two of the same android, but they're an artificial intelligence, so they change by their experiences. So they start at the same point, but their experiences have made them different creatures. Yes. And they're interacting with each other now. Yes. And I thought they might have something interesting to say or do with this. Do they? No. Yeah. uh, As close as we get is there's a confrontation between David and Walter. And they're commenting on Walter, you know, being like the next gens or whatever. And... It's been a while since I've seen it now. But Walter says to David something like, uh, people found you uncomfortable or, you know, something. Um, it wasn't uncomfortable, but people were uncomfortable around you. You made people feel uncomfortable. And that's about as close as they ever got to it. This, you know, like tremendously powerful creatures, AI, and just, they just, nothing. 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 Here we are, alien plant. Learn nothing about the engineers. We have the, this juxtaposition of different AIs. We learn nothing. Right. Again, just complete waste of potential. But we do learn some stuff, Adam. Are we happy about the stuff we did learn? No, and we, <laughs> may, we may cover that in a spoiler cast. Ugh. So... Here's the thing about the movie. It's a horror movie, but it's not scary. No, it's not. The action is not exciting. This has one of the limpest finales I've seen in the Alien franchise. It does. Yeah. I mean, this is no Ripley versus the Alien Queen in the power loader. No, but, but I mean, let's be honest. Through the whole Alien franchise, there really hasn't been... A Ripley in the loader with the no, queen. I mean, that's a great scene. But I even like Alien 3 when they're trying to trap the beast and then Ripley's sacrifice at the end. I think that's a good finale. I really like the extended director's cut. Yeah. I, and I like the director's cut so much better than the theatrical release. And it is good. It's better than this. Right. The whole. I mean, it's a long finale when they're trying to trap the alien in the foundry. Yes. And sacrificing and trying to move it around. That's, that's well put together in a good finale. It is. This one is literally nothing. It just happens and it's over. You'll yeah. be shocked by the finale in this movie. The biggest action set piece is probably two-thirds of the way through on the landing craft. You see it in the trailer when the alien's trying to smash in the cockpit. Yes. That's, is that two-thirds? I th- it feels more than that. It might be because they do say it takes like 40, 45 minutes till they're down on the planet. Yeah, it takes a while. Because of the big discussion on whether or not you investigate a planet that's playing John Denver. Yeah. So, Alien Covenant ends up as a disappointment. (sighs) Prometheus is a weird film, and I have a hard time right now, even, weeks later, trying to decide which one I liked better. I thought this would be better than Prometheus. I'm not a fan of Prometheus. But even right now, I'm not necessarily ready to say that Covenant's better. No. Uh, wow. Here's my thing. If I had to learn, all right, I think both movies left a lot of meat on the bone that they could have gotten, like real meat, and went for like gristle. But I think Covenant left more. They had so much potential. You're on an engineer planet. 
And literally, no one cares. No one cares. And then what you find out, it was crushing to me. Yeah. Crushing. We learn more in Prometheus. That's clear. On Prometheus or Covenant? We learn more in Prometheus. We did. We did. But what we did learn, I mean, they had missed opportunities in Covenant. But what we did learn infuriated me. So I would have to say I like Prometheus better. You know, I may be with you there. I mean, Prometheus had a better cast. He cared more about the crew. I mean, it had a really good cast with Idris Elba and Charlize Theron and Fassbender. It did. did. You actually knew the crew members because there were some bigger characters. Waylon himself was in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, missed opportunities in both, I think. But... Yeah, just because of certain things, I don't want to get into spoilers and covenant. I can't put it ahead of Prometheus because it it infuriated me. So, and here's why I'm going to knock points off for covenant as well. Prometheus, I wasn't a big fan of, but it actually made me want a sequel. Yes, they left in the ship going to a homeworld, you know, engineer homeworld with signals and they were going, it was, this was it. We were going to get answers and covenant. I don't care. I don't care if there's another alien movie at this point Oh, in this storyline. Now let me, let in me this clear, story in line. this storyline. I do not care if we ever see David or Walter or anyone else again. Yeah. I don't care about that. I don't care about them. They're done. Now, if they were to make an alien movie in the Dread style of movie with a contained just a colony and showing what happens, action movie or straight up horror or some other alien movie that just didn't care about the saga or the mythos, I'm in. Yeah. If for some reason they would say, look, okay, okay, okay. For me, this was bad. We tried to make up for an alien coming by bringing you back into more alien type movie. We realized we botched that. Let's just forget that happened and make a new sequel to Prometheus. I'd still go back in to see if they've learned anything. And I would be excited because I want to know about the engineers from the very first, first movie. Yep. That you see the navigator is super intriguing to me. There he sits in his chair with a hole in his chest. Yeah. That is stupendous. And then Prometheus hints that you're going to find out something. Nope. (laughs) And then you're like, but they're going to the planet with all the engineers. This is going to be nope. So whatever. Yep. So this is not in my top three alien movies. They remain undisturbed. I'm not ranking them in any order, but the top three for me are clearly alien aliens and alien three. Yeah. Resurrection might still be the worst one for me out of all of them. Yeah. Whoa. Not including Alien versus Predator. That's still an alien in a closed space. What? A- alien Resurrection. I know, but I don't know that it's worse than Prometheus or Alien Covenant. I will say this after Alien Covenant makes more sense to me now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we have a top three and a clear bottom three. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no middle here. No. So I, when we have to vote. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, jeez. I don't recommend this movie. Uh, I still would. I love this. Look, I I love this series. Like I said, wow. That, like, I feel bad if we're doing a podcast and I'm actually recommending this movie, but I can still hang my hat. It's got 71% on Rotten Tomato. I, I, I'm shocked by that 71%. Because, I mean, if I was blind to that number, I wouldn't have guessed it was that high. I would put this in the low 50s. Audiences are 61%. Critics are at 71 Um, I mean, it's if this was your first Alien movie, one, I'd feel bad for you. But two, okay. Okay. You, this could be a stopping off point for you. You could you could get on and you know make you want to investigate the other ones. And then you go, oh, this is great, right? So I don't feel so bad. I think I am um jaded to it 
because we started so good. And yeah. it's kind of gone downhill. And I think if you're coming into this new, I think it still has some value. And you may view the whole series different if you saw this one first because of what you find out. Yeah. I mean, my main beef with this is still is this is a sci-fi horror action movie. There's no good sci-fi. There's no good <laughs> horror. And there's no good action. Yeah, I know. It's kind of three genres, and it doesn't do anything good in any of them. I know. I know. I, I would still... I would still recommend it. Okay. So, and I'm normally, you know, I'm one to jump on things, but it it still has value to me. Yeah, and I actually don't know if Roger Roger's seen the movie. Yeah, I don't know what his thoughts are. We didn't really talk about it, so I don't know where he would come in. The next time he's on here, we can kind of ask him in the wrap up. Yeah, we can. Okay, that'll wrap up our thoughts on Alien Covenant. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Film Coterie. Uh, We will be back this summer. Uh, We're doing a few side projects. Some new things you may see next week. I have a horror episode I've been excited to put together. That'll be coming out with a few surprises. And I feel like this episode was negative with the three movies. But I have to say, I had a great week last week. We haven't reviewed them yet. But I had the chance to see both Wonder Woman and Baby Driver. And I loved both of these movies. I think they're great films. They give me hope for the whole summer. I saw them on back-to-back nights, and it was what I needed because the summer's been disappointing for me. Man, I saw Captain Underpants. <laughs> All right, so tell us about Captain Underpants. Wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. I can throw in a review. Uh, I, I have a young son who loves the books, and if you've ever read a Captain Underpants book, the movie was hitting on all cylinders for a Captain Underpants. It's animated, right? I've not even seen a trailer for it. It is, it is animated. Uh, so I'm trying to think of the voice actors um, for um, Captain Underpants. Hold on. So uh, the two main characters are Harold and George. Um, and one of them... Is the guy from Silicon Valley. What, Thomas? Uh, yeah, whatever his last name is. That's why Middle I was trying to look it up. Yeah. So, okay. and the other one's uh, Kevin Hart. That's who it is. All right, so fill me in on Captain Underpants. I, I've seen the book covers. Is that an alter ego? So essentially, well, <laughs> I know Give it's Give me closing. the deep dive. Deep dive? Man, it's so. <laughs> so there's these two boys in elementary school. Harold and George. Harold and George are the troublemakers in class, always pulling pranks or whatever. And um, they also write comic books on the side. And they have, they always joke that all superheroes look like they're in their underwear. So why not just cut out the middleman and have a superhero be named Captain Underpants? So they have a comic book that they write in their treehouse dedicated it's captain underpants right and they write about his and it's like elementary school it's like potty humor right and they have a principal principal crump that is strict and always trying to catch harold and george always he finally catches him red-handed a nanny cam hidden in a thing as some stuffed animal catches them pulling a prank is going to split them up into classes, and they have a ring they got out of a box of cereal, a hypno ring, and hypnotize him and tell him that he's Captain Underpants. So he becomes Captain Underpants? Their principal becomes Captain Underpants. Okay, because they always look like a middle-aged bald guy was Captain Underpants. It is, but that's how they drew him in their comic book. It just so happens that their principal looks exactly like the superhero that they wrote and the, the potty humor comes in is um, there's an arch villain and the, the arch villain's name is professor poopy pants. 
That's his real name, is Professor Poopy Pants. Um, he has a full name, and it's like Professor PP Diarrhea Poopy Pants. And he's the arch nemesis, and there's giant toilets, and it's, it's the books. I mean, essentially, it's like, here's a book, sir. So, um, Ed all Hel- of that made more sense to me than the mummy. <laughs> I wish there'd been giant toilets, but I mean, if you look at it, so Kevin Hart voiced George, Ed Helms was Captain Underpants, Nick Kroll was Professor Poopy Pants, uh, Thomas Middleditch was Harold, uh, Jordan Peele was M- Melvin. I mean, there's some people you know in this, and it, it, like, I know there's been adaptations of books or whatever, and adults, you think differently. Um, this is one, if your kid likes Captain Underpants, they are going to thoroughly enjoy the movie because it is a Captain Underpants book. Your son is four. Yes. So how did your four-year-old like this movie? <clears throat> well, here's the dilemma. He loved it. However, here's the problem. He wore his underpants at home? No, no. He always just wears his underwear at home. Even though our house is at 65 degrees, that kid is He's a warm-blooded creature. Oh, goodness. So here's the issue. I kind of felt bad afterwards. So this is only the second movie he's ever seen in a theater, okay? So when we're going in, we let him know, hey, buddy, I know you talk a lot and you're kind of loud. We need to be quiet in the movie theater. He took it seriously. He didn't laugh one single time because he was afraid that ushers would throw him out. <laughs> Poor kid. I know. I mean, and there were, there were points, like when I noticed it, I wasn't going to lean over and tell him, you can laugh and talk you know, now if a funny part comes up, because I know that would gotten out of control. But I looked over and was getting like high fives and smiles and thumbs up and stuff just trying to get him going into the movie. Uh, But he came out of it like super stoic and we're like, did you like it, buddy? And he was like, it's super awesome. It was great. But during the whole movie, not a peep because he was afraid of getting thrown out. So (laughs) chalk that one up to experience. I hope it doesn't scar him for life. I'm picturing him biting his lip at this point through the movie. No, he just, it was, I mean, I, like I said, I felt bad. I looked at him and it was look, like as if he had been defeated. <laughs> um, and the weird thing was, was that the movie, the movie was about stealing uh, a part of your brain that makes you laugh, that makes you understand humor. And I felt like sitting there with him, just not laughing. I felt like he was a victim of this villain, Professor Poopy Pants. <laughs> and all the jokes were just passing him by. <laughs> so, um, but at the end, you know, he loves it. I don't read him Professor Poopy Pants or Captain Underpants. I don't read it to him. Um, I'm the one that punishes him with real books. So me and my wife trade off. She reads him like Dr. Seuss and I've read him Dr. Seuss before, but um, she reads, she's reading him the Captain Underpants books. I have read him the Hobbit, um, Princess Bride, and we're about three quarters of the way through Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, but he prefers his mother to put him to bed so he can read Captain Underpants. You got to mix in the pulp with the classics. You that's do. Pulp, that's pulp adventure for a four-year-old. Oh, yeah. And there's, I mean, every, every four-year-old boy and some girls, and you go through that phase where potty humor is really funny. Because that's, that's like your first introduction into humor because it's one of the first things you understand. Sometimes poop and pee are funny. And, you know, you've just spent, the, once you're four, you've spent like a majority of your life having your butt wiped by other human beings. And it's just... It's funny, and it does what it does. It's rated PG for the simple fact that it just has potty humor. There's no, like, cursing or anything like that, because PG can have some cursing. There's none of that. It's literally because there's a character named Mr. Poopy Pants, and people are in old, you know, old, (laughs) like, middle-aged elementary principles, um, like, in their underwear for a lot of the movie. But it isn't, like, a normal... Like Pixar-ish movie, there's not 
There's no jokes like just for the older people. It's like we're potty humor. This is what's happening right. from beginning to end. Potty humor. So okay, there you go. A yeah. very positive recommendation of yeah. Captain Underpants. If you like Captain Underpants, if your kids like Captain Underpants, go take it. It's a book on film. It's great. Okay. Uh, that'll wrap it up. We will be back soon. You can find us on all kinds of social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. Our website is www.filmcoterie.com. And our Twitter handle is at filmcoterie. So we are easy to find and we'll post updates when new content is coming this summer. See ya.